The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. I'm your host, Simon Pound, back to share more of the great stories of people, ideas, and change happening in business in Aotearoa. The metaverse is a big business topic right now, and you might be interested to know there are a bunch of Kiwi leading this new space. Sam Ramlu is the co-founder and managing director at Method, a pioneering studio that's been making immersive online experiences for nearly two decades, and who recently, with her new studio M-Theory, joint-ventured with Oddboy and released a VR game called Wanderer. It was picked up by Sony PlayStation and has been met with rave reviews. To share her journey, the story of making virtual worlds, and to talk about where things are going, Sam Ramlu joins us now. Tēnā koe. Kia ora, how's it going? Oh, so good to see you here, thank you. Um, hey, so first up, you were really early into this immersive online experiences space. Tell me about what led you to start Method nearly two decades ago to, to help brands and people do more cool things online. Yeah, I just always feel super old. <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> you were like very two young. decades. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, look, I think the thing is, you know, thinking about it now, um, I could talk about all the planning we did and how we knew this was going to be a big thing. And to, to be honest, we were we were in our early to mid twenties, and so for us, it was just something we just really enjoyed doing. And we did see we saw a future in immersive technologies. I guess back then it was literally just websites. You know, we saw amazing interactive websites being done online in the UK and the US, and we wanted to create the same experiences here. We, um, so my partner and I, um, you know, are kind of more gamers and to tech a little bit more. And so we could see people were kind of starting to talk to us about doing more of this work. He was um, a designer and I was in advertising. And so he was starting to get freelance projects, you know, and from my studio as well that I was working at. And then we were just like, this is really cool. We could do more of this and we could, you know, and we just got more and more clients and kind of went, well, we need to set up a company and then I'll move over and start doing that full time. And it grew really, really organically. You know, there wasn't kind of a business plan written down um, and we were just doing great work and we were just really enjoying doing great work. So the more we did, the more, you know, the more we got to do, I suppose, and then the more we got to explore. So, you know, we were playing, as new technologies came out, we were just naturally playing with them in our lives and seeing how we could bring them into work. So, you know, gamification wasn't even a word when we were when we were doing games online and getting people to do games and some of these games were uber successful. We started playing with technology like Xbox Connect, doing some, you know, some of that stuff. And then it led into apps, augmented reality and virtual reality just naturally. Was there a moment when you knew it was working? Um <laughs> yeah, I think that the moment we knew it was working was we we kind of we got 
you know, quite a quite a decent profit um, from from the from from the year, you know, and from um, from our financial year. And we're like, oh, we made some money this year because we weren't we weren't actually paying ourselves that much. You know, we were we were lucky. We we're in our twenties. There weren't a lot of dependencies, um, and so so for us, we were okay to just work on a low salary. And then we got a little, you know, chunk of money and it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. But, you know, the, we were kind of like, okay, let's go spend this. And so <laughs> um, I think that was just being, that was that was good. We were able to have like a trip to see our friends in um, Kenya. And it just, it kind of felt like if we can do this, if this is what comes out of it, this is great. But I think the thing for us, and I know a lot of people say this, but money wasn't the main object. You know, we were just... We were stoked to be doing some of the stuff and being leading edge with it, um, getting to play with technology, um, you know, and the thing is we were kind of doing it together, just sort of figuring it out together. I think part of it was there was no um, there was no sort of path back then in the space. We kind of created that path. We forged it ourselves and it probably, for us and the way we work, was probably the best way to do it. And how have you built the team over the years? You've been really purposeful around um, inclusion and diversity and and been a real champion for that in the industry. Yeah, and I think, I, I guess the thing is it probably hasn't felt purposeful because, and maybe being a brown woman means that naturally there are some things that I can, maybe maybe I don't fall into some of those things that people fall into of, you know, hiring certain ways. And, and I guess for me and... The biggest problem I have is that I that, that I read everything, like I consume everything. So if something comes in front of me, I'll read it all. So if some like going through job and that's related to getting CVs sent for a role, I'll go through every single CV and every single letter. You know, for me, it kind of it boils down to the experience that I've got, and so that's how I've always hired is based on portfolio or experience. It doesn't matter what the person's name is, where they're from, you know. So so that's kind of formed that. And over the years, we've got this really diverse team, you know, of people that are talented, who are kind and caring and, and, and collaborative. You know, it's sort of collaboration is one of our um, values. So we make sure that people come in and they can actually genuinely work together. As a visible leader in the industry who is doing the diversity thing (laughs) at work, you know, successfully, what kind of advice do you give to these, you you know, when you are asked um, about how to do it? And also, how do you feel about being the person that people have to come and ask about it? I Look, and I think the thing is it's weird that, well, you know, for me it's weird that you say leader and leading the space. And I guess the thing is, for me, I'm kind of, never set out to do that. I just always wanted to do great work, and I was pretty headstrong, and you know, kind of almost in a way having blinkers on. Probably missed some of the stuff that might have happened to me that might have seemed seemed a bit, you know, non inclusive. Um, but for me, it was always about, but that's what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. I'm stubborn about it, and if there were obstacles. They just felt like natural obstacles. They didn't necessarily feel like they're related to gender or race, and maybe they were, you know. Um, so, so now, and I guess the thing is, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to say reluctant leader, but I guess the thing is, for me, I feel like wh- what difference would it have made to me growing up if I'd seen someone like me? And maybe I didn't personally need to see a role model because I was like, I just want to do this. I was quite headstrong about it. 
But what about others out there? What about, you know, people who kind of, who don't see themselves in these roles and then naturally go, well, I can't, that's not for me. You know, I grew up very academic. Um, That was my background growing up in a Fijian Indian family was, you know, super academic. And it was like a doctor, actually lawyer, because I debate, I argued with my dad a lot, Um, you know, good arguments. But if if we'd said create, I mean, arts just wasn't a thing, you know. So growing up... um, that was sort of ingrained into me, but I was a creative person. I wrote stories and wanted to do that sort of. I've read a lot, you know. So, so for me, going into this, I guess I go, um, what difference would it make for someone else, for someone young, to see someone in this space? And it's, I feel really, um, it. I feel like I'm kind of. It's. It can be. It can feel egotistical, and I think I have to come out of that and go. Well, if you're not doing it, who else is doing it? You know. And the advice that you give, you know, hire people based on their portfolio and talent and have environments where everyone's um, welcome and treated well. Uh, have you seen examples of people picking that up or have, has there been, um, you, you know, are you seeing forward movement? Yeah, I think so. And I think the thing is, I think the thing is with environments like this, they just don't get talked about because people are more likely to call out bad behaviour than they are good behaviour. So... I think if it seems surprising that we've got all these great leaders out there doing, they're just doing their job and what comes naturally to them. I never felt like we needed to talk about what we're doing at Method until, you know, like when we came up with the value collaboration, that was something that the team, so the team came up with the values. And I actually said, that's a really weak value for me personally, because if you're not collaborative, who are you as a studio? And everyone said, yeah, but you're truly collaborative. People say they are and then they don't. And so so for me, that was actually quite um, eye-opening, you know, that people would come in and say that we're actually living those values. And so I think there are a lot of great leaders out there, and I think a lot of them are probably more introverted leaders. We don't shout about it. You just get on with the job, you know. Um, the ones who shout the loudest are probably the ones getting hurt the most, right? And so so I think the thing is it it means that we probably do have to step out of our comfort zone. Um, you know, I think people would think it was weird that I was saying I'm an introvert, but I'm one of those, you know, introvert, extroverted people. If you get me talking about something I'm passionate about, I won't stop talking. But I I think the other thing is there's a lot of really great humble leaders out there and we should start celebrating them. But but also understanding that they find it really, really hard to talk about successes because that's just not natural to them. Let's talk about um, the big move of Wanderer, the VR game that you uh, worked on with Oddboy. What led you to start a company making a whole VR game? Well, I mean, so it started with, you know, naturally again playing in this technology space um, and in AR and VR. And we got one of the first dev kits, the Oculus dev kit, um, the absolute first one that came out. We kickstarted, you know, put it into Kickstarter. And so we started playing with this technology at at work naturally you know we were putting it on we were feeling sick because that's that's what VR was in the beginning a lot of roller coaster rides I mean who thought that was a good idea um and we were like this could be really really cool for some of our clients so we actually started to pitch ideas to some of the existing clients and agencies that we had and no one was picking it up they're like what is this VR thing how are we gonna you know it's it's not gonna take off um and so 
So for us, very much it was about how can we how can we educate the market. So um, you know we were also going through a bit of a dip in the business at the time. So we were looking at well maybe maybe we can kind of look at this and lead the space. So we started doing talks, um, and and this was as method. Um, and started doing talks and then realised, in fact, after a couple of years, we, so we did our first project in 2014, and then actually a couple of years later um, was when VR started getting talked more and more about and we'd already worked on one project and we're starting to do more projects. And we realised that actually Method as a brand, even, even though we were doing all this great stuff, people coming out in this space as a new industry, so where people were forming new companies around AR and VR, and we wanted to be very much international. And so for us, it was like, well, actually, people aren't recognising that Method's doing this. And so maybe um, we should set up a new brand to literally tackle the space and it will help us get that take that brand overseas as well as under that brand we can start doing our own IP. So, you know, uh, we'd always wanted to do our own IP in the form of games and other content. And so we thought, well, maybe under this brand we could do that. So, so we started M-Theory. We did, you know, we started doing more and more client projects. And then, um, so one of our team had actually left to start his own game studio. He's, you know, really passionate about making games. And so we'd always kept in touch and he was still doing design work for us. And we started talking about, imagine if we could do something in VR that, you know, that like a, a game. I mean, back then there weren't many games at all. So we were talking something quite new at the time. Then an interactive fund came out in New Zealand by the Film Commission. We'd started having this idea and we're like, why don't we put it forward for this and see how it goes? And then we got a little bit of funding and we're like, great, someone thinks our idea is good. And honestly, the rest is serious history, you know. So so that's kind of where it started. Um, and the joint venture has been amazing because I think it's one of those things where it took three years, like it took a good three years to get that funded. And it was a lot of hard work, you know, we we sunk some of our own money and we made that decision. We said, look, what if we put some actual money behind this, hire someone, get someone to start creating a demo, we're committed to it. Um, that money that we got, you know, from the Film Commission just didn't go far, but it gave us that boost to go, someone thinks it's interesting, there'll be other people out there who think it's interesting, we think it's interesting and we think it's worthwhile. So then we just, over three years, just tried to get it funded and that was hard, you know, and I think if it, if we hadn't been in a joint venture, I think we might have given up sooner, either party, because at any time, you know, if you're kind of exhausted from doing these trips where you're talking to people and they all love the idea, but no one wanted to actually put any money behind it, you'd come back and you'd be deflated, the other guys would be doing their bit, you know, and then you'd get your energy back. And so so three years we kind of went on and we were, we were literally kind of at the end of kind of looking for opportunities and then the PlayStation opportunity hit and suddenly that was, you know, one of the the only, I guess this is the thing is also when you think about opportunities and how they come, you only really need one good opportunity, you know, um, and, and you can do the rest from there. We'll be back shortly to hear how PlayStation came on board, the idea behind the Wanderer game and how Sam believes we need to work to make a more inclusive and human metaverse. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. 
Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome back to Business is Boring. We've all heard a lot about the metaverse lately, the virtual worlds we all might be spending a lot more time in soon. But for Sam Ramlu, it's already beginning, as they have built the super successful Wanderer VR game in the Unreal Engine, one of the leading virtual world builders. How did they pull this off? And how can we make sure the metaverse future is better than our tech present? How did the Sony and so that the Sony PlayStation opportunity? So they ended up what coming into the game and helping give you a platform to launch it. Yeah, I mean, so um, the Odd Boy team were in um, were at Boston Packs, probably living off two minute noodles as they trawled around. You know, they'd spent their money on airfares and got a stand at the at packs. Um, my partner and I used we were at um, GDC in San Francisco. And so we were kind of like just having this last ditch attempt to see how we could get it funded. And we were just having some really great conversations. And I think um, at PAX, there was kind of like one of those um, pitch your idea sort of sessions. And there was a Sony executive in the room and, you know, came out and saw the demo, liked the pitch um, and took it back to the team. And kind of from there, we we kind of got a deal, you know, Um it happened pretty quickly after that. Um, and then we were forming a team. It was like, okay, well, let's put these guys together. You know, people come out of the method team or M-theory team into this. Um, Oddboy came into it and then we were wondering, we're making a game. And what was the pitch? Well, the pitch was, um, a, of course, a time travel VR adventure game. And it was a bloody mouthful, you know. Um, but for us, the, the idea of, the, like, like, I guess where it came out of was this, initially started with a museum. So we were doing a lot of museum work, you know, exhibitions and content and creative content. And and I think there must have been something out of that. We were like, imagine if you're walking around a museum and you picked up an item and you could go back in time, you know, with that item and see, like be a fly on the wall, right? It was like literally VR can make you be anywhere. Um, and so that was that was the idea. And then, okay, let's do a time travel game. Let's make it an adventure game doesn't have to be set in a museum. So slowly, you know, the story started to form and what does that look like? And and we've ended up where we are now with the story that we have now. And so you had that idea and you'd been, you know, you and um, your partner and the people in the business loved gaming and loved new things. What kept the spark alive for that three years until Sony came along? And then how did it feel <laughs> when, like, you know, the absolute kind of like one of the biggest names in entertainment said, yeah, y- y- yes, you're right, after you'd, ha- after you'd had three years of no's. <laughs> oh, it feels... I mean, the thing is, 
I couldn't tell you how close some of these conversations had come. You know, I remember personally chasing down a Chinese investor in, in China on the trains, losing my ticket. Oh, my God. Um, it's, you know, like in all the stuff. And I just remember being so exhausted at the end of the day going, what am I doing? Why am I here doing this? You know, some of the trips that we were doing. And I think... Um, well, at the time, I guess we were also, we were we were working as a studio, so we were making money. It's not like we, you know, we'd put everything into this and weren't. So, so that, you know, we were earning money doing projects. Um, we had a young, we had a young son by then as well. So, you know, in the mix. And I think we were just determined. We were like, one of the things actually also that really helped drive us was that over the 20 years now, we had... We had caught on to some things really, really early, but then when it hadn't been picked up, kind of not left them behind, but moved to the next thing because naturally we were, and then we'd see it get picked up and people make their whole business around it. We'd be like, oh my God, what the heck? We were doing this five years ago. And so one thing we were really resolute about was we don't want to stop on this VR train. We truly, truly believe in it. And so we were genuinely just on that mission. We were like, let's not let's not do what we did for these other things and drop it because actually we truly believe in it. And so many people, even till two years ago, um, don't think this is all hyped. You know, literally someone now who's getting into the space had said, it's hype, don't know where it's going, don't think it'll be a success, you know. We were we were lucky. Like, we were lucky. We were also talking to um, Oculus, another big party. We were talking to platform providers like HTC, Um there just wasn't the sort of money floating. And I think I think something would have probably happened elsewhere within the space of, you know, we were kind of right at that cusp where people are like, happy to invest, we'll go next steps. And, you know, I think that was just the first, those are the first guys who came on board and actually probably the best ones to come on board, yeah. That's so interesting about that timing point that you'd been able to pick that up out of um, the, the past of the businesses. Yeah, like a like, like a, the right idea at the wrong time is, is the wrong idea. Well, if you're pioneering, it's <laughs> yeah. never the pioneers who are making the most. It's the people afterwards who are like, you know what, you've set – and, you know, we, we miss so many opportunities. Like the app space, we were doing apps before they became a thing and then we stopped. We just – weren't promoting it as much anymore. And there are businesses out there who've made their whole business out of creating apps, you know. Um, at the end of the day, though, for us, and I guess it does feel like we do a lot of wide stuff, but for us, storytelling was always the most important thing. Like, how can we tell, how can we have this great engagement? How can we tell a great story? How can we make it beautiful and emotionally connecting to people? And and the game's just one thing that's managed to do it. It's a big one thing. But, you know, within the game, there's so many moments to kind of do that and, and interactive storytelling. I think being gamers as well, we could see the the value in having something that wasn't just what we call lean back and watch. You were actively involved. And so all our stuff is about how you can get actively involved in something and create that world around you and, you know, feel those emotions at the end. That's so cool. And that, that kind of like immersive experience and storytelling and stuff, you know, um, being a through line from what you were doing in the brand work and the, um, the the websites and the online experiences. How do you actually, though, go from being a storyteller and having this idea to building a whole world in, yeah, in VR? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
how do you, how do you how do you do it? I think I think this. I mean, look, and this is the thing: is we've we've been so there's been so many pieces that fit really well, you know, because. Even up until um, just before we launched, we, you know, we were promoting the game. We had done this amazing trailer and we started to, you start to look at the comments, you know, and people are like, who are these guys? Are they going to live up to it? Is it all just marketing hype? Da, 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 da. And then suddenly you're like, oh, crap. You know, is it going to be? But the thing is, I guess we'd had grounding and years of doing work to budget and times and experiences for people that, and we'd done stuff in VR. But I think the thing is, the audience who was looking at this gaming audience had never seen us before. We came out of nowhere. They didn't know our experience in VR. They saw this great marketing content and were like, that's, you're, you're hyping this up. And the, the best vindication for us was when, you know, one of the guys who'd, who had been a really, really great early supporter and then the more trailers he saw, he was like, I really hope this is good. I'm, like he was starting to freak out on our behalf that this was going to be a letdown for everyone. You know, you get that massive hype, like Matrix, the, really, the latest Matrix. But, you know, you get that, that hype and then you, you've got a great hype to fall from, right? So he came out and said, damn it, they did it. Like they actually did it. They lived up to the hype. We didn't think... You know, I'm sorry I doubted you. Literally, words to me and messages, I'm sorry we doubted you, but you guys did it. And so I guess the thing is all of that is because of all the combined experience that we've had. We can't say that we got lucky. It's years of that that's created that luck, I suppose. You know, knowing how to manage a project. Yeah, we'd never done a a two-and-a-half-year project before, but it has very similar principles to a three-month project. Getting a great team together, We'd already had people who were working on this, so we didn't have to start a team from scratch. We had people we were familiar with who'd done work with us. So we got them all together, and it's like this just became this great culminating moment, you know, and the future looks amazing and bright, and the opportunities we've now got to go places with this is pretty epic, really. The response has been amazing. Hey, like really great reviews. And yeah, how, how's it gone and what opportunities has that opened up for you now? Um, I mean, the reviews, I guess, for us. And, and the thing is, I, I I was never involved in the core development of the game. You know, I was also running Method at the time. So very much about my partner going into this. We Like while we got funded, it wasn't a lot of dollars. So I was kind of like a little bit, you know, as a high, high level producer and kind of managing the team and everything. But the guys who are in the trenches all the time. But I try the game, see things coming together, see it from the stories that were being pieced together and go, this is a really good game or am I just am I just biased? You know, but because I wasn't involved in the development, I was like, I can truly see this is a good... So I think all of us went into it going, look, we'd be really happy with like a seven. And I was like, I think we need... Like, I think this is an eight or a nine, you know, and, and we were just starting to panic because you get the closer you get to actual launch the more you're just like, how is this going to actually... Everyone was doubting us as well. Um, so then the reviews came out and we, you know, we were as a team going through... The, honestly, just the most nervous time ever, um, not being able to sleep. And also, of course, it was releasing at like, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning US time because of all the time zones. We made it, yeah, sorry, 6 o'clock our time here. Um, so there's no sleep had. And you put it out and you're like, how's it going to go, you know? Um and then the reviews have been just amazing. And, you know, and the reviews plus also the comparisons to other games 
games that were had spent, you know, over 300 million on, on this. And so for us to get that off the back of what we worked on, we're like, oh, wow, we actually, we actually did it, you know. Um, and then the opportunities that are coming out of it now is um, very much what we'd hoped for. You know, so Wanderer is, part, uh, is a three-part series um, and we've made the first one. We left everyone on a bit of a cliffhanger and we want to make the second one. And so essentially that's what we're trying to do. And I don't want to jinx anything, but hopefully we can do that, you know, and hopefully with a bigger budget and then what does Wanderer 3 look like? And in fact, our timing is probably really great in that PlayStation is bringing out their next generation VR headset. So we're going, this is the time, you know, if we can if we can time it so Wanderer 2 oh, you know, actually Wanderer 1 comes back out on PlayStation VR and then we can do the next one and suddenly all three Wanderers are on on here, that would be amazing for us, yeah. There's a real feeling with VR that it's kind of like, um, you know, one of these technologies that has been coming for a long time, but maybe like the metaverse that's been talked about for a long time, maybe the moment is actually arriving and there's kind of the feeling when you put on the headset and you are in these spaces I get the same feeling that I got from the first iPhone, where you were like, well, this is cool. But the coolest thing is that there's heaps of smart people all around the world working on things that are going to be in this platform that will make it super cool. And there's this real feeling of kind of excitement and um, and possibility there. Like, as someone who is building, you, you, you know, virtual worlds, real virtual worlds in what, you know, is probably going to be the same software that the metaverse or, you know, parts of the metaverse are experienced in. What are your views on the space? And what do you make of the big chat at the moment about, um, you know, when the metaverse is coming and, and how things are going? Yeah, and I think the thing is, it's like, you know, there's hype around it, right? There's there's a, a phrase that's been coined, you know, like gamification back in, back in the day, of the metaverse. And so everyone's everyone who knows a little bit about it are going, oh, my God, the metaverse is coming. The thing is, we've had versions of this over the years, you know, and the metaverse is really just the same as the social life we have online, but in a virtual world. So it's it's just the next iteration of that. Um, And if you think about it, um, a lot of people have been in a version of a metaverse, you know, Halo, which is a multiplayer space, you could call that a mini metaverse, right? And the way that people interact in that space. They go there. A lot of people go there for social interaction, not necessarily just for the game. And then Roblox, you know, Minecraft. And we've been experiencing this for a long time. And I th- and actually social games online where you're not in VR, right? So, so this is a next level where you're now going, okay, those spaces where you hang out, and if you think about it, you go from physical spaces where you hang out physically to spaces where you hang out socially, and now it's going to be virtual, you know? So you're going to have, you're going to be in that space talking to people, and you can do what you do in real life, play games, watch things together, spend time together in a virtual world. Um, my personal feeling about it is, I just feel that at the end of the day, we're all human beings, you know, and our core is about physical engagement and interaction of of seeing people. And as much as I like hiding behind my laptop and working from home, I think also you can't miss these moments. It's what makes us human. You know, and we saw through through COVID and being locked down that the one thing people craved was human engagement and company and you couldn't stop people 
from from meeting with each other. You know, that was the biggest thing. Stick to your bubble. Um, and and I guess the thing is, in a metaverse space, I just feel like there needs to be balance. You know, like I don't, I don't want the next generation growing up not knowing what a physical relationship conversation looks like. I don't want my son to just put a headset on and his way, that's his way of engaging with people. That would be really sad, you know, that just such a sad thing that was such, we're so lucky to be able to do this and we're going to replace that with technology. But technology has its way of adding value to it. What can you do so, you you know, when you can't see people, when you can't have this experience? But a lot was talked about in the early days of VR about replacing travel. You wouldn't need to travel anywhere. How awful is that? How <laughs> awful does that sound that you couldn't be there with the sights and sounds and tastes of a different culture and a different location? And how much have we all missed that? You know, so in a way, and this sounds really, really bad, and I don't mean it like this, but maybe all of this stuff happening at the same time, COVID and being shut down in the metaverse, might not be a bad thing because maybe the balance may come out. We might go, actually, we do all crave human connections. If we hadn't had COVID, would we have gone even further into it without realising what we were losing? So I just I just don't want to lose our humanity, you know? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, there is so much potential for more shared experiences and, and richer kind of engagement and, you, you know, connection that can happen if you can, like, truly inhabit an online space together. Um, but the way I think, you know, even the word metaverse, I expect that that's going to be like the information superhighway or something. You know, we're so early and so much of the commentary um, is so cooked. But, like, the cool yeah. thing is that, like, there are these Kiwi companies that are so involved at the very front end of things. And so, yeah, really fascinated to hear about your your experience and your thoughts on that and, and how you as a team are going to help to, um, yeah, yeah, m- make sure that these are more human experiences. Yeah, and I think... I mean, how amazing is it, right, when you hear about the likes of Fluff and, you know, our friends beyond are doing some amazing stuff in the space as well. And you go, I think the thing is, Kiwis have always been great at this, but we've just been given more of a chance to shine now. You know, our biggest problem being smaller audience, some, and which means not a lot of budget that comes with it. And, hey, the world's more open now. You know, we're more exposed to it. People are less worried about, oh, you live there and that's too far away. Now everything's so much closer, right? Um, and so I think I think that's really helped. And I, I just love that there are Kiwi companies leading the space that it's not just the usual story of great tourism and sites and agriculture, how we're doing it. And the space and, and the games industry and sector in New Zealand is just burgeoning, you know, and, and it's in spite of the small audiences, the lack of funding, and all of that, that if we were, like we always say, you know, if we had started up in San Francisco, our lives would have been just so much different. But this is this is people doing stuff that they're really passionate about and they're going out there and getting it. And while, especially the games industry, I think it might look like an overnight success, there are people who have been working in the space for years, like, you know, share my story. There are people, other people who have been doing the same hard yards in the space and only now it's becoming a lot more apparent. So I think, um, you know, in terms of virtual worlds and stuff, for me, I think, for I guess I guess Wanderer in itself isn't necessarily an open world. It is more of a game. It's an interactive story. But even within that, it's like, how can we share, how can we share things and make people feel emotionally connected? One of the things that I was very rah-rah about was, 
you know, making sure that we we considered people of colour and women, you know, and it's natural for me because I'm like, hey, th- that's me. You know, when I look down at hands in VR, I see white male hands most of the time. Like, I, we need to change that. And, and so that comes through in the story and that you embody different people. You look down and you've got painted fingernails. You know, you're playing the drums and you're a female drummer and then you're a Mayan, you know, a Japanese explorer, explorer in the Mayan jungle. So I guess for us... How can we get this into a story? Um, another thing was how can we showcase historical moments that just aren't your typical historical moments? You know, we knew we started, we needed to start with very normal, uh, normalised ones or ones that people were familiar with. But over time we want people to start going, wow, I'd never heard about that female explorer or whatever, you know. And so, I'm like, for me that's just, that'd be just such a proud moment that someone heard about some story through our game. And I think with the metaverse, we've got this responsibility for for providing safe places for people. You know, like I think there's a lot, there's a lot that our kids are going to be exposed to. And what can we do as people in the space to do that, to, to make it a safe place? And I, and I feel like, you know, in the NFT space, a lot of people have jumped on seeing a way to get rich quick. And there's genuinely people, that's that's it. So what can we do? to make sure that actually we can widen who's accessing this. I mean, we know what that profile looks like with people who are buying NFTs. Unfortunately, it's like, you know, the whitest, malest kind of sector right now, right? So so how can you get other people accessing it? What do you do to get people accessing? People who go, what's an NFT? You know, like we're living in this space, right? So we hear it all the time. There'll be people out there who go, like, I have no idea. And I would never be able to access that. So so for me, it's always about how do we get access to it, but but still, you know, being true to the environment that it's in. Um, and, and I do, you know, I do often feel like I'm on my high horse about it, but I guess I always then feel like, well, if I'm not saying it, who else is going to say it? Absolutely. As, you know, as an observer of the space, it's, you know, there's so much cool stuff and there's so many kind of, um, you know, things that are, are, are pointing the way to the future, but a lot of the big projects and most popular and kind of easily available um, kind of things to think of, they do seem so teenage boy. You can kind of like <laughs> smell the Lynx Africa and it's a really important, um, really important to kind of push that, that, that thing. I think there's a couple of final thoughts here. Like, you know, what advice would you have for someone who has an idea that they believe in and has heard three years of no's? Like, how do you help people to kind of keep going? Oh, I mean, I think the thing is, one thing that we probably didn't have, you know, we relied a lot on our own sort of our own energy and how determined we were. Look, not everyone's not everyone's made that way, I guess. So I would say try and get those connections early. The thing is, it's so much easier now to get connections than it ever has been. There's so much open stuff. Use them. We always felt I think as Kiwis, we always feel like asking for help is a bit of a, is a sign of weakness. You know, we were really proud of the fact that we were never government funded. And then it was like, hang on, we're actually missing out on potential money here, but we didn't want handouts. Well, don't look at them as handouts. You know, they can help build your dream and your vision. So think about that. Think about surrounding yourself with smart people who can help guide you. Um, And, you know, how passionate are you really? Because if you stick at something for three years... Um, there's something in there, right? But look, at the same time, I'd also say, don't feel like, don't feel like you're wedded to something 
and I guess you know, I guess the thing is, you could you could be in the space that isn't working out, but you felt like you've put three years into it, and you don't want to give it up. And so I guess the thing is, it's also okay to fail. Like, and that's a really hard thing for me to say, but it's actually okay for that thing to fail, for you to try something else, put that determination into something else, put that energy into something else. It's okay, you know, um, at the end of the day, yeah. And as a final thought, what will success be for you and for your companies? Um, Success for me will probably be that I can actually enjoy a night and have some sleep. Um, But look, I think the thing is, I'm probably also one of those people that you know, I won't use the word, word workaholic because I think that has negative connotations, but I actually really love what I do. I don't see it as work. You know, I get to make amazing stories. You know, I've been asked, like, why don't I just go fully into Wondra? I'm like, yeah, but then I'd be missing out on all these amazing stories that we could be telling in, you know, in museums or uh, with iwi and just, I just go, I've got FOMO big time. Um, so for me, it would be leaving this legacy behind that when people think of, the digital space and immersive space and ARVR space were there. I mean, you know, it sounds really egotistical, but how amazing to have that left behind. And actually that, I think the biggest thing for me, and it was a really cheesy quote that I saw and I can't quote it exactly, but success to me is about how we can now bring the next generation up along. You know, so if I've been given this opportunity how can I actually help others? Like, why Why else would you do it? You know, personally, it's not about the money. I want enough to live really, really comfortably, and I'll admit that. But after that, it's like, how how can we make sure that other people can see the space for what it is? Um, and that's that's everyone, people who kind of go, that's not a career you should be going into. I want people to realise that this is an amazing career, that people like who look like me, you know, um, people from the Pacific Islands can actually do this and, and make make an amazing, amazing business out of it. That's so cool. Thank you, Sam Ramlu, for coming and sharing your story today. That's Sam Ramlu of M Theory and Method. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank you to Sam, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.